This is an adult podcast made for adults by adults. This is the new Batman SEO chasing episode. It's Pride Month, so Suede just drools over Robert Pattinson throughout this entire episode. Lots of discourse on Paul Dano's Riddler. And seriously, why do we keep talking about Calendar Man even though he's not even in this episode? We're obsessed. This is Fake Film Fans. Welcome to Fake Film Fans. I want to thank you all for listening. I'm Suede Best, the penguin of Roanoke, Virginia. Hey everyone, I'm Walter. I have a pot of lentils that I've cooked three days ago and still have not found time to eat it. And I haven't put it in my fridge either. (laughs) Hello, it's me, Riley. Well, it's not me. You guys don't know me, but I'm making my first appearance on this show. I am the person who is stressing over this introduction. Call me a therapist. Riley (laughs) saying. That's Riley. Riley is the cool brother. Despite being the younger brother, he's the he's the cool one. Walter, yeah, it's- the cool brother of Suede. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say I'm more of a... All my inferiorities are more just hidden. I don't wear them on my <laughs> sleeves. Yeah, so Riley is my younger brother, and he's uh, going to save us for this Batman podcast. Hey, I'll be upfront. I'm here to uh, take responsibility for something that I tried to do. So I, <laughs> I promoted... or well, I wouldn't say promoted. I suggested one of my good friends. His name is Dean, and he's a real Batman fan. <laughs> <laughs> but we couldn't make it today. Aside from that, I'm not only here to take responsibility. I'm also here to talk about some Batman because I have been talking about Batman for some time myself. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. And we're gonna we're gonna get into it. I think it's good that we have Riley. We have this family bond on what is our 25th anniversary episode. This 25 dang old podcast episodes. We did it, folks. In the in the states, you're old enough to uh, rent a car now. This podcast could rent a car. A family car. A family car. And I'm family van. Can you own a gun yet? In the United States of America, <laughs> all you need to own a gun is to be white. That's like literally the thing. You just gotta be white. You'll be good. You just get a gun. It's fine. The gun and the Bible. The gun and the Bible, son. You just, I got my, got my Glock 19 and I got my, my King James. Hollowed out my King James. <laughs> King hit James. my guns. Uh, 25 episodes. I think it's only going to get better from here. Well, good job to you guys. Congratulations on this milestone. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> this milestone of two listeners. <laughs> so every once in a while, I'll come across something that I like don't really have context for, and I'll ask Walter about it. And because Walter exists, sort of sans any kind of context of anything, he doesn't know how to answer these. So do you by any chance know the poem Spring Gaze by Du Fu? Well, I'll admit what you just described is kind of also my life. I don't really know much about what Walter said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he also often is the context and the provider of the information required to understand what he says. I do not know no Du Fu. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a poem. Ah. Uh, what I do remember though is um, Walter definitely telling me about how you had a knack or at least an interest in writing short horror fictions. Is that still true or 
have things yeah, changed yeah, yeah. since the last time? Right now I'm working on a novel that's not a horror novel necessarily. I read this book and I, I think it's called Small Teeth and it's by this First Nations woman and it's this really weird like half memoir, half novel that I read it and it was, I thought it was amazing and it inspired me to take these short pieces that I'd written about my job at the movie theater and how weird it is to be at a movie theater and turn it into a novel. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now. And it's it's got horror elements but it's not a traditional horror novel by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I could kind of detect that when you said the sentence, the feeling of how weird it is to be in a movie cinema. I can only imagine that going down a horror rabbit hole. I, I know Walters worked some like menial jobs, some like cashier jobs, some retail jobs. Have you ever done any retail jobs? Riley's worked as a waiter. Okay, so you you sort of know what it feels like to be depersonalized at your workplace, right? You cease to be someone who you are, and in fact, just become like a cog for a restaurant or or any kind of business you're at. Okay, okay. Or at least yeah. that's been my experience working. Did you have that experience? Yeah, 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 yeah. Nah, Riley was like, I'm a waiter. That's my identity. <laughs> I mean, there was a conversation not too long ago I had my brother about the joys of, of waitressing, of that experience. So that fresh conversation is still informing how I'm currently reflecting on that job but maybe without that conversation i would have been in the minds or the headspace that yeah feeling like a cog in this uh just trying to sell shit environment just so you know riley suede has already definitely bullied me for liking my media jobs too much because of how wealthy we are so (laughs) no see i don't let me be honest with you well someone whose name is tori used to give you a hard time he used to say you were trying on poverty but it didn't bother me because like you bought me shit like why why am i gonna complain (laughs) i'm like we weren't on the same level in college like it's not like i was getting the same amount of money as you were getting but my mom was helping me pay for rent and i still had a job so like I, I get i could have easily if i wanted to just not had a job um and just let mm. my mom pay my rent Walter's past history with working i think the difference between me and him in that regard is that especially and i see this with his relationship with his friends and kind of the conversations or jokes that manifest i think that wealth class and kind of like affordability of stuff and what kind of lifestyle you can afford and the choosing or rejecting of it is a lot more embraced in the relationships between you guys whereas me and my friends it's definitely more kind of like orthodoxically taboo you don't talk about it yeah when i'm like offering to buy stuff you know all my friends are like oh i mean when i was in america it's different in hong kong but when i was in america they're like right you don't have to do that you don't have to do that at all and then the conversation kind of stops there if i had a dollar for every time i've been at one of these menial jobs and was just like why why am i doing this why am i doing this i would i would have stayed at those menial jobs because i would have been rich i mean it's like these, <laughs> It's fucking like... The movie theater was okay because it was so goddamn easy. The managers who were there were like weak and ineffectual. So I could do whatever I wanted so long as I did the bare minimum. My managers would be like, Swade, you need to stop going on cigarette breaks whenever you want. Swade, you have to stop telling the high school students that our entire movie theater system is like an arm of the bourgeoisie. Swade, you have to do this, you have to do that. And I'd be like, no, I'm good. I'm just going to keep doing my job and doing what I want. And they would be like, but they couldn't do anything because I was Mm. like one of the few people there who could do the job because I wasn't a high schooler. So when they would complain, it's like, well, they still need me tomorrow because I'm the only one who's going to do it. Damn. So even with that performance, you were still actually one of their best men. Yeah, exactly. Because I, you know, when you reach a certain age, you just accept that you have to do things you don't like. Like when you're in high school, you're like, oh, I don't need to do my job. It's fine. I'm just going to cut. But like when you're an adult, it's like, well, no, I have responsibilities. And it's not just like you have responsibilities to the money you're making, right? Like if I don't show up, I'm screwing over everyone else, right? (laughs) And like, that's not cool. Then you must have been quite pissed off at your co-workers who didn't show up and didn't even like did the bare minimum. I mean, it's hard to be angry at high schoolers in any way that's like real. 
because they're high schoolers. Like, what, like they don't know anything. And again, the job was so easy. The only time it was like ever stressful was when there was a big movie release, like Avengers or whatever. Then it was like some real shit. That's my experience too, Riley. Like, I feel like some of these menial jars are so menial that maybe you feel like you're doing more work in some aspects of it, but you know you're slacking too. Yeah, because exactly. Because it really doesn't yeah. matter. So to become one of those people who like get mad and jealous that someone else is not working as hard as you, if you actually acted like that, it just feels like there's like an entire hypocrisy chain. Yeah, if you get angry or pissed off on something that doesn't matter to you, then I guess the ego is just way too exposed. Especially because there's this ethos in certain places, especially like middle manager types, people who like aren't the boss boss, but are like the boss yeah. before the boss. What's that guy's name in the office who's like below Steve Carell? Oh, Dwight. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. People like that. <laughs> if you got time to lean, you've got time to clean, which is basically just like you should always be working. I refuse. We brought this job up thing because it was related to your horror stories, right? Exactly what was related, by the way? The novel was about the theater, right? I mean, and there's like weirder stuff too. Like my theater was located in this like intersection. Like, you know, Ro- Roanoke is like a lot of other small towns in the South where it's like segregated by history and price, which is true of a lot of places, right? Like it's also true of Baltimore. But the movie theater I was at was in this like Venn diagram space between people who are like on or below the poverty line and the people who are living like in fancy McMansions. Not the like uber rich, but like the very rich and then the poor. And so you would get this weird intersection where there would be like people who are paying for movies with change and sometimes not having enough money and having to like scrounge for coupons and stuff like that. And then these people who are so rich that they don't care about how much money they're spending, but they want everything perfect. So you have these poor people who are angry because they're embarrassed of what they're having to do to see a film and are also angry that things cost so much because they literally can't afford anything versus the hyper rich who are angry because it took you an extra five seconds to get them their ticket. Every once in a while, those, those groups would like touch and interact and it, it was it was interesting because it wasn't always bad you know sometimes these groups would interact especially when it was kids and you would you would see like people crossing class boundaries and like managing to interact well and then you have other times you know they'd be like oh so you know i need you to get this person out of the theater they're doing this or that it's just weird because the 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 movie theater in a lot of ways especially the movie this movie theater because it's not like an art house theater it just like shows regular ass movies yeah it's supposed to be a place where like class doesn't really matter right it's like people just come to see movies but of course class and also race i mean because roanoke is also segregated by history via race so it usually happens that all of the rich people are white and all of the poor people are black or brown i think there are a variety of spaces in which these class intersection happens but to kind of particularize on cinema is interesting and i think it happens more in the american context because cinemas in hong kong are definitely very contained within uh classes infrastructures like malls and stuff while in america your cinemas are like kind of just out there with a big part <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, it also helped that there's a bus stop right near the theater, right? Because there's another theater that's not near a bus stop, and it is consistently middle class. It's actually a less interesting theater to be around, with the exception of the fact that the area it's in has a lot more rednecks. You do get to hear, like, more white middle class redneck conversations, which is, like, fun to listen to sometimes, mm. depending on who you are as a person. My theater that I worked at it was an art house movie theater, right? But it was stuck right in the middle of the art district in Baltimore. More. That district changes rapidly because it is getting rapidly gentrified. When I worked there, the theater wasn't open yet. I mean, it's also in the middle, right? So it's in the middle of East and West Baltimore. Because it was an art house movie theater, everyone there 
who went in were middle class to high class. Everyone who stood outside and begged for change was not. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? exactly. So mine was not that like in the theater, there were both classes inside. It was literally a wall of glass separating the two sort of worlds. And everyone would be driving their cars from the suburbs all the way down to this car park across us. But usually on our downtime, we were talking to the homeless people who are walking around or something like that because we're just trying to kill time. We had this guy, I think his name was, he would like buy popcorn us and then throw popcorn at our windows (laughs) right after we sold it to him. But the issue was we had a boss who was like not happy. I don't know, like, you know, he's he's a rich boss. So he would get mad at us for interacting. Yeah, bosses don't like homeless people. Exactly. (laughs) I just want to say shout out to my boss. We had some issues with this at first. My (laughs) boss at my bookstore has like really kind of followed my suit and with our relationship with the homeless people and she's like totally chill now because she she also knows that if there are issues because every once in a while one of the homeless folks will be like you know a little throwing popcorn at your exactly that's not even really an issue that could be an issue (laughs) someone does have to sweep it which was me yeah exactly but so she knows i can handle i I handle it when people are being inappropriate in the store it's good you're using this platform to remind the world of the good bosses out there because they often get just generalized across the board just a lot of flack yeah like the boss like me i'm a good boss yeah you're great Boss. I'm a nice You're boss. my podcast boss. My <laughs> podcast boss and my podcast dad. about to say though it seems like we have uh, somehow stumbled into a prime pre-context for something like gotham city the popcorn man <laughs> just like low level those popcorn that people take in town at the first chapter okay so the reason riley riley brought up popcorn man though is because i was telling actually he listened to the podcast with cheryl because riley and cheryl are friends and you were talking about Calendar, Calendar Man. Man. And Riley was like, wow, Swede is a big Batman nerd 100% oh, yeah. because who the fuck cares about Calendar Man? I like Calendar Man. <laughs> yeah. There's this TV show called <laughs> Batman the Brave and the Bold. It's a cartoon Batman series that's supposed to sort of be similar in like theme and tone to the Adam West Batman. So it's a lot sillier and it's a lot less dark. What's the Adam West Batman? Uh, the original TV show. You know, the, 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 oh. the silly TV show, where when they punch... Like, instead of the you seeing uh, the punch pow. connects. Yeah, exactly. Pow! will splash across the screen. With, uh, underwear Robin. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, I didn't even know you knew the reference, Riley. Dean knows the references. I've heard, like, you know, I've heard a lot of Batman nerds seem to like to canonize or categorize Batman and its styles to the authors or the creators. So Adam West Batman is a term that I hear a lot. Christopher uh. Nolan Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and there, there's in the episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold, there's this, like, little figure, this god figure who gives calendar man all these powers because normally he's just like a dude who's obsessed with calendars right but he gets the power to like summon things from like holidays calendars? yeah from calendars it's hilarious <laughs> oh that is a much more powerful and supernatural calendar man there's a lot of holidays exactly could, especially right? today when you even have marshmallow day mm-hmm. like every single thing has a day right now or veterans day just summon a bunch of vietnam war vets yo pride month yeah, it's, it's Pride, Pride Month. Month. It's Pride Month. It's Pride <laughs> Month. But even before Nolan, then, if given that you have this brave and the bold version of Calendar Man, and then the Calendar Man that shows up in The Long Halloween, so they like they secularize that villain. There seems to be like a trend of like as Batman becomes taken as a more serious vehicle, powers itself try they try to secularize everything. Do you mean like makes make things less uh, shenanigans, make things less zany? They try to make things more based in reality. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. I, I, all right, I'll be the first to say it. I think this is the best Batman movie. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Wow. So I want to connect Riley's point to what you just said, because if you listen to our previous episode on Batman, Swade said he really liked the Jack Nicholson Joker and the, what's his name? Ben Affleck? Uh, no, it's, um, oh, what is that fucker's name? George Clooney. George Clooney. You're right. George Clooney. No, yes. it's not George Clooney. So the- it's, it's, uh, it is Clooney. No, it's um, it's Kate McKinnon. Who the fuck is Kate McKinnon? It's Anna Karina. It's Anna Karina. I knew Anna Karina joke, but the Kate McKinnon just flew over my head. I know I do Kate McKinnon. It's was. Kate McKinnon. She's the funny lesbian. It's actually them. Barney. It's Barney. Who played Bruce Bruce Wayne? Bruce Wayne. Barney <laughs> as Bruce Wayne. Wow, these jokes are twenty five episodes deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they go. You want to know? Way. You want to know something yeah. weird? Well, every time you mention Barney, it makes me want to drink Nyquil. <laughs> that's, not the, that's not the intended effect of Barney. Sweet hates Barney. I, really. I don't love Barney. <laughs> I think it's well, but there are kids. There are like little kids shows that I can sit down and watch, like Teletubbies. I could sit down and watch that. But there was an episode where I was fucked up on Nyquil. You talked about Barney, and I remember thinking, man, I'd watch some Barney. And so now, whenever I think about Barney in my mind, it's like, man, I would love to chug <laughs> half a bottle of Nyquil and watch some Barney. Wow, and just get fucked out of my gourd. Uh, it's like the last drug I can do. Is <laughs> And that's the last show you'll watch. It's the last show I can watch, and it's the last drug I can do. Instead of the last meal, the last show. The last show. (laughs) I'll be be in jail, and they'll be like, what do you want for your last meal? Give me a bottle of NyQuil and two VHS copies of Barney episodes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to get back to the zany thing is that so you were talking about how you liked that batman in particular the one with george clooney and jack nicholson because of how zany it was and tory was butthurt he was like no i like stuff that was i like serious. serious batman and then he tried to make a joke and then could not tell the story yeah exactly because he's not funny yeah i know that's a characteristic of y'all, that y'all say about it <laughs> But I was surprised that you want to defend this Batman because this Batman is more on the more serious side. And personally, I did not find this Batman zany. So, Riley, did you find this Batman zany at all? Or do you need a definition of zany? <laughs> uh, yeah, I might need a definition of zany. The only word that comes up to me that I do register is a campy. Oh, you find a campy? No, no, no. I'm not saying the film I find campy. I'm thinking, like, what the fuck zany means? I'd like to refocus the definition. When I'm talking about zany, what I mean is that it is like the comic book. Oh. It evokes the comic book elements of Batman the most accurately. So right? Zadie and I think that's nothing that Zadie used to be. Well, no, but I can, exp- <laughs> I can explain. I can explain. When I was talking about Zany in the, lo- the last podcast, what I was talking about is that there's all this like brutality that happens, but there's also an edge of comic book shenanigans. That it's this push and pull between silly comic book stuff and realism. And that I really like the 1989 Batman because of how silly it is and still having brutal parts. The 1989 Batman, it goes Zany, real. Zany, real. In this one, I think it's so blended, it's almost hard to tell unless you're looking for this quality i'm talking about like a caviar like a caviar like a golden caviar <laughs> no what the what, Walter, what the fuck are you talking about how is it like a caviar <laughs> i don't know it's not like a caviar i just heard blended quality and it made me think of exquisite dining but so i think what i'm talking about is there's this stuff that's so outside of realism that manages to feel real within the narrative because of how well it's blended so the first scene right has got the mayor of gotham getting ready for his next election cycle he walks past like a darkened part of his room and then there's the riddler there's no way this could happen in real life the people who can sneak are like trained seal agents and stuff like that not like a nerdy accountant like the riddler but because of the way 
way the shots are set up and the tone, like the musical tone, and also this sort of like something would just like suddenly be there without popping out at you. It's like a jump scare without a jump scare. It's so outside of realism that it feels like a comic book, but everything is played for so serious, you almost don't notice it. In my mind, zaniness is really something that exemplifies the comic book elements without making it feel unreal. Okay, so like when you were describing zany, it was like, okay, zany is kind of a duality. Yes. That comic book cartoonishness plus the brutality of it. And so the brutality aspect could synonymously also be thought of as like seriousness and things that abide by like what natural laws. Right, the realism. Things that make sense. And then in this film, it blends it all together. Yes, almost perfectly. Well, for me, it flew over my head. What you would describe as the very blatant replications of like comic cartoon aspects, they just all flew over my head. And those scenes just felt contained within the natural world of this particular film. But it feels it feels. So much more thematic than the other Batman movies, especially the Nolan films. To me, at least, it felt so thematic. It felt like I was watching a noir. I mean, mm. and some of it's just the way the shots are set up. Everything's dark and set up with these single point lights and everything's so textured. Characters are always stepping out of shadows, right? And again, it gets back to like some of my favorite Batman comics are the ones that do this like neo-noir style lighting. Some of the, the greatest panels in these comics are the ones where Batman exists as mostly a shadow. Walter, I know, has been watching the um, old Batman cartoon, the 90s one, and it and it does it really well too. It does this same thing where Batman is like usually just a silhouette. Yeah, and he's just like two white eyes. Yes, just the two white eyes. It's so <laughs> fucking cool. Batman is best, I think, when you don't see a lot of things. He is an element of shadows. I can't relate exactly to the Batman thing because I was never into Batman comics. But what I feel like I can relate is anime adaptions. I fall in love with the manga because of the art, the manga panels. To see it just be completely animated into a perfect anime usually doesn't make me who is initially a fan of that manga happy i think soul leader is a really good example because it captures the hip-hop jazz graffiti style of soul leader really well right you know versus like like i think i think demon slayer is actually a good example the only issue demon is demon slayer the animation is almost too much of an improvement it's too much of an improvement and i there's not a whole lot of like visual metaphor going on in demon slayer you don't have to like get across like a emotion or theme in the same way it's just dudes fighting right a style yeah. Because you're talking about this jazzy rap hip hop thing from Soul Eater that you really appreciated moving into the anime. Like it like the, the scenes where Stein is smoking is like so evocative. You can see that in both Soul Eater the manga and Soul Eater the anime. So I guess my question with this Batman question though is that I didn't realize Batman's gothic and nor stuff was so ingrained into the original comics. No, so there the people divide Western comic canon as far as like Marvel and DC in uh, Golden Age comics and Silver Age comics. And the Golden Age is the original. And that's where you get stuff that's a lot sillier, a lot less brutal. And then you start transitioning into the stuff that's a little more graphic and real. And that's where I think Batman becomes palatable to a modern audience, right? That's when Superman doesn't fight for America anymore, but fights yeah. for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Instead of Superman being like, oh, I'm going to go beat them Nazis. He's like, <laughs> so this new Batman would be a bad adaption of the golden era of Batman. Yes, so. yes. The best adaptation of golden age Batman is Adam West. I mean, because that's it's one for one. It's like silly... It's not too dark. It's based on a lot of puns. It's very colorful, too. I don't read a lot of Golden Age comics in general. I think it's a little bit like, you know, early film. It's really like figuring out its medium. It's not as experimental with panels, right? So it's it's more like a traditional narrative. All right, you want to know what's really weird? These days, most kids remember Adam West 
for his lengthy career in Family Guy. Because Adam West was the, the mayor of Quahog. And it's not just like he was the actor. He plays Adam West. Like, the person Adam West is the mayor. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Did you guys not watch much Family Guy? Man, I fucking grew up once in Family Guy. I didn't. I didn't watch it so much that when you said Family Guy, it's not. The, I thought of Modern Family. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> it's a river villain that from the golden age batman i think so i like riley's question though because if i was asked what a zany riddler would be like it would be that leprechaun looking yes. riddler because he's so fucking weird he's got question marks and it's a green shirt he's redhead exactly but this riddler ditches it all which is why it was so hard for me to understand why you found this riddler zany and that's why when you explain it like this i'm like oh yeah that riddler that i think is like the weirdest fucking leprechaun in the world probably comes with the golden age because he sort of fits there instead of that dark sort of shit that you're talking and about. And I think the Riddler actually has been a character uh, in the comics, in my experience, kind of like a joke character a little bit. You don't get the brutality from him that you do from like the Joker or Killer Croc or whatever. And I think this is this is the first time in my experience that the Riddler like feels really formidable and ugly. And I, I think it's because there's a lot of Saw elements in this Riddler's mode of operation, right? Like, and I think Saw has that similar level of zaniness right like because of how oppressive and brutal the movie is you don't notice that like it's crazy that someone would build a helmet that would cut someone's head off right that's like insane the only people who do that yeah Swain has done it that's why he's taking it he's (laughs) actually embarrassed about all his murder tools in his basement with the exception of my murder tools in my basement where I capture people (laughs) and put them in like oh you have to cut your butt off and put your butt in a in the blender and drink it to show your love for your life or something do you think Saul would have been a better movie if Saul had like a leprechaun little accent? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they had, they had that, puppet, that puppet accent. Yes. Yeah, Saul, Saul, I think like even like in terms of sound has some kind of like, if I may use the word zany too, zany sounds. I mean, it's the puppets, like the puppet clacks a little bit when it speaks. Yeah, because it's clacking. Like, and I'm sure I'm thinking about that where he's sawing the foot. It sounds like he's sawing like a nice juicy steak. Exactly. <laughs> it's got some graininess. <laughs> I don't love those movies because it's like a little too gratuitous for my tastes, but it, I, I think it, it, is, it is evocative of that same outside of how upsetting it is. If you take a step back, you're like, oh man, this is the silliest shit I've ever seen. I also think you can readily admit you probably like saw a lot more than a lot of the other films that are just famous for their gore because of the zaniness, no? I find Saw a little nauseating. That's my problem. I don't like mm, it's yeah. not quite funny enough the batman's movie's brutality in it has just like a riddle or a pun attached to it which adds to the humor you've just got this guy who's like calling people a rat so he's got a rat cage over their head i like the puns i think the puns are really funny so did you Uh, laugh out loud when you were watching it the second time i did yeah, yeah yeah the first time i was literally i saw this movie in theaters oh my god it was the best movie I've seen in theaters in a long time. Oh, yeah. You said you were going to tell the story. <laughs> oh, the story. All right. So, again, the theater I used to work at is filled with people who are weak-willed. <laughs> and so, you can, if you know what you're doing, you can kind of well, do what you, you want. you do have those murder tools to thread in love with. That's true. And I have I have my mask filled with spiders that I put on all the teenagers. The easy victims. You can't be kidnapping people with strong wills. No, you can't. You got to <laughs> choose the weak ones. So, I, me and my friend Lee, who was on our podcast, they were on the... um 
the infamous Point Break episode. We're going to see this movie, and I know that if the people I used to work with are there, I can see it for free. Because literally all I have to do is look at them and be like, hey, I'm not going to pay for a ticket, right? And they go like, yeah, 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 you're good, go ahead. But there were two teenagers there who I barely knew and who didn't recognize me because I'd cut my hair and I was wearing a mask. I was not going to pay for a ticket. There was no way in God's green earth I was going to pay for a ticket. So I, I look at these two teenagers and I go, hey, so I started working at the Salem Theater, which is the other AMC. And I said, you know, I, I work at the Salem Theater and um, Donut, who is the manager over there, said I could see movies for free. And they go, yeah, 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 sure. We just need your employee login information. And so I go, oh, well, I couldn't get it to work. He said there's something wrong with the system. Can we just go through anyways? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Just write your name down. And so I wrote in big letters, suede. And I'm like rock hard as I'm doing this. I'm like, that's right. Fuck you. I'm the ultimate crime lord. I am the Riddler. <laughs> and so as we're leaving, I see, I see my manager. I walk over to him and I, I say, you should, uh, you shouldn't check the employee, the employee, uh, ticket machine. You should check and see, uh, see who wrote the name down there. And he's like, oh, suede. What do you mean? And I'm like, you just go ahead and check. And I walk away and I'm like, yes, I got you. And I made you know I got you. I was like, the, I was, I was like fucking rock hard, dude. Is great. You're a villain, man. I was living that Riddler lifestyle. I was being the Riddler. Because you really like this Riddler, right? I do. I love Paul Dano's performance in this movie. Do you think you only like this Riddler because you just did it? <laughs> no. Did what the Riddler did? No. So you were just relating to him extra hard at that day? No, because I love this performance. What about you guys? Were you guys a fan? Well, a little bit of what I brought up about the Riddler being less zany than I thought it was is a bit of me hinting at this thing where this Riddler was so different than what I was expecting. I don't know if I was disappointed because I think there was some things about it that was fun, except that I don't really think Paul Dano really acted until the last 30 minutes, right? Yes, so that's little, true. He's kind of has that Silence of Lambs thing where everyone loves, uh, what's that fucker's name? Joey- Anthony uh, Hopkins? Anthony Hopkins. Anna Karina? Yes, Anna Karina. Right. Barney? 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 Who, who would be more <laughs> scary to be eaten by? Barney, Anna Karina, or the guy? What's his name? Alan Hackman? Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great name, though. Alan Hackman. For anybody who's looking for a new, like, comic idea. <laughs> no, but really, who would be the scariest to be eaten by? Well, of those three, only one yeah. person actually does eat people. We don't know if Barney might eat people offset. I mean, he's a dinosaur. Dinosaurs do eat flesh. And he's a Karina could eat me. <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> oh, I love Anna so much. All right, I'm going back to this Paul Dano thing, right? I honestly don't have a strong opinion about the Riddler or not. If I went into this film expecting that green leprechaun Riddler, I would be disappointed. Yes, that is very true. Right? Because he's not that. No, he's not that at all. This is the thing. Besides him making riddles, I don't really know if I can even call him the Riddler. Oh. So I will say that one of the main elements of the Riddler's psyche in the in the graphic novel, like if we're talking about like the texts, the Riddler's big thing is that he wants everyone to notice him. And, and, and you know, like when you read the comics and they talk about what mental illnesses he has, because every Batman villain has to have a mental illness, it's obsessive compulsive order and delusions of grandeur. Oh, and he kind of has both of those okay. yes yes he does in the comics it's all about proving he's the best and showing batman up and in this he's much more interesting because he does want to be the best and he does want everyone to notice him but he's also a class warrior outside of the fact that he kills all these people in gotham at the end he's not necessarily doing anything all that bad right i mean he's just like killing crooked cops and crooked politicians you could say ideologically he's uh 
kind of got himself in the right area. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it isn't until it isn't until he goes from like a murderer vigilante to a domestic terrorist. I mean, the movie makes it very clear that you're not supposed to be on his side because of how brutal his actions are. But that's like all Batman villains. Every single time you watch a Batman villain who's not the Joker or one of the mob bosses, you're always like, huh, maybe this is pretty cool. And then he does something too far. So you like, ah, you can't root for them anymore. Well, and that's why I like Batman so much. You know, the concept of justice not being black and white, like in the Superman comics, is so engaging with Batman. The idea of justice in this comic, in this movie, is like so nuanced, right? Then if I flipped this Riddler out with the Joker, with a different type of Joker, maybe a Joker with more motivations. Like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. And wait, would it work? Because I feel like it would have. Okay, so I think one of the reasons the zaniness is effective in this film is because it earns it by having so much other stuff going on outside of just like shenanigans. Like there's so much texture to this movie. Textures or patterns in the foregrounds and background and everything's everything's like set up beautifully. Like there are so many awesome shots where Batman is just like super tight in this little, in this little, little tiny shot. In the club? Yeah, the club. Everything is like so cool to look at that when the zaniness happens you're willing to accept it and you you don't notice it i think paul dano's character is very similar because you get so little of him until the last 30 minutes or so he's done all this stuff so once he gets there you're like fuck it i'm in i'm in there's so much lead in I think if you popped Paul Dano in the way he is from the beginning, it would not have worked at all. I think you need that Silence of the Lambs style, like, non-acting, where he's just, like, a dude in a mask. Well, isn't that proving, like, my point? Yes, no, that was what I was going to say. Yeah, because that's why it's hard when you pose this question, do I like the Riddler? Because it almost feels like, not every villain, but there were a good amount of Batman villains you could have used instead of the Riddler, and this sort of Detective Noir thing could have still happened. And then just have Paul Dano pop up in the last 30 minutes. It's acting a little whatever he wanted to act. And it would have been almost the same movie still. But I think a key element of the Riddler is these puzzles, which also adds to the noir. Let's say if the villain was Clayface. There's no puzzles for Clayface. <laughs> it's just like a slime boy, right? You need the puzzles element to like make it feel like True. a noir, Fact. like a detective series. Yeah, that's a deliberately bad example. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, but so what, what I'm saying is I think Riddler is the perfect pick for this because the Riddler is never a character you can just punch out that's like his his narrative if the riddler was just like someone you could use ass you could kick it wouldn't matter the riddler is always someone who you have to find and you have to solve so it makes for a perfect noir dude the funniest thing is calendar man could have worked calendar man legit could have worked yeah he could have put all his dates as the puzzle instead of like underneath the light where they finally kill the final mob boss it would have been like on the specific day of valentine's day (laughs) if the movie was good enough I would have allowed at the last final act for some like zany superpowers for some like pumpkins to pop out of his uh, calendar book and I'd be like yeah we're at the climax dude calendar man is an underrated villain because of how stupid the idea is. I like. I, I love to that. watch that Adam West version and see all the things that come out of his holiday catalog. It's so dumb that he like summons like wear Easter bunnies with like egg grenades and stuff. It's like so. Wild. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I have two questions still relating. Like, I guess I'd be interested to hear what were your expectations going into this Batman film? I was a little worried about Paul Dano, too. I mean, I'd seen his mask, and I was I was, I was, was also kind of like, ah, isn't the Riddler usually got a silly leprechaun outfit? What's what's going on with this? <laughs> <laughs> but I think as soon, as soon as you have that bit where he just, like, suddenly, like, in the shadow, as soon as that happens, I was like, oh, no, fuck it. This guy's awesome. I'm in. I'm down.
guys think it was quiet? One of my favorite customers from the bookstore, we'll call him Harry. Harry's got such good taste in horror movies. He did not like this movie. He saw it on his TV instead of in theaters. And he said, it's so damn quiet. It's hard to watch because you can't hear anything the characters are saying. And I did kind of watching it at home. I kept having to fuck with the volume because it would be really quiet and then I'd turn it super loud and then Batman would be punching someone and it would be like, boom, and I'd have to like quick turn it down. I mean, the quiet parts are quiet and I think a lot of it has to do with, for me, one of the biggest things I noticed was that this Batman feels really small because Gotham itself in this movie actually feels really big. It's Batman's space feels really small. Like the best fucking example of this is Batman's Batcave, which is fucking non-existent except it's Robert Pattinson's eyes and some random technology that looks like it's not even completely built. This is why it's quiet. Because in most bad caves, there's like 300 surveillance cameras with fucking a bed or like shit going on. At, like, it's just something is happening. <laughs> there's none of the like items, right? Like in the bat cave, there's like the giant coin. That's the animated ones. But at least I think also a collection of suits. Yes, a collection of suits, stuff like that. This is just a garage. There's no Batmobile in his garage even. And the Batmobile is similar. It's It feels unfinished. It feels exposed. Like it's not like a sleek car it's got like exposed engines and stuff so that's why i think duh this fucking film was quiet half of the fucking scenes maybe even more of the scenes except in the club are literally just nothingness well the plot is pretty small compared to a lot of other superhero movies that are coming out these days i think there is a pattern i see with batman batman films always have to retell the story of what gotham is because i think it's it's an entirely fictional place i want to push this further but i don't know how to push it further without first juxtaposing it to what i think is the modern superman problem which is that superman has broken out of a locale he used to exist which is like america because he is inherently an alien and also a world hero and a god and a god current (laughs) writers always have to like contextualize him in today's political world order which is already the messiest thing to fucking do especially with superman especially as american people are also reconciling with their place in this world where they know they're kind of a world supreme power, but they don't want to be. They don't want Superman being the icon of supreme power, because then that's not a reflection of his ideal. So I get why it's in a state in which like, it's really hard for people to find compelling. It sounds like I'm making the argument that there's an easier task with Batman, but you still have the task of doing it itself. You still have to always retell the story and you always have to give a little history. You always have to give us the institutions that make up Gotham. So Gotham is always like essentially three places in each film. Or at least in this one, it's three places. It's the club. It's it's not even the Batcave. The Batman zone. His his like weird little his his, <laughs> his weird little garage. His Batman it's, garage. It's the Bat Abyss. The Bat Abyss. The Bat Abyss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the place where Alfred also lives. I mean, everything else is in the periphery. And so the writer, you've decided that these will be the only settings necessary for this story to set in. To add on to that, I think another reason why you always have to set up Gotham is because Bruce Wayne's Gotham is very hard to make sense out of like an actual city because either it's his crazy villains that sort of exist only because Batman exists or this supremely wealthy socialite understanding of a city like I don't think Bruce Wayne has ever taken the subway even though there are subways in this movie you need to set up what Gotham means otherwise you're only gonna get a really fucking small narrow version because Bruce Wayne's Gotham is so fucking limited the only way he can experience the poverty is by helping the people who are impoverished. In the same way that the politics of Superman can be complicated, I think 
the politics of Batman are pretty easy to make tone deaf because essentially he's like a one percenter who puts on a, a mask and punches poor people. Uh, <laughs> like, like you know, I love Batman to death as a like character, but the reason people do crime, the reason they mug other people, stealing, doing drugs, right? It's not because they're bad people. It's a system that makes them do this, right? It's an unfair system. And he always supports the system. And Gotham seems to be a place that, in every rendition, has to be an environment that the system that burrs a which abhors the super villains, the moral victory is still won, even if that system prevails, while the villains itself get beaten with the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. Even though it's Gotham, it's not Gotham. It's New York City. It's Joker and New York City. <laughs> I feel similarly about the Nolan films too, actually. I think the Nolan films are also very much New York City. I don't think that it's nearly as gothic as Gotham is supposed to be. This Gotham is like more gothic than any other Gotham in the movies so far, while still being realistic, right? Like Tim Burton's Gotham is like a fun house. It's like a, a fantasy thing. I think this this Gotham is the most accurate to the Batman TV show. The the music, the Nirvana songs are good, but the like orchestral stuff sounds so much like the Batman cartoons orchestral. Um, Kurt Cobain would have made a good Joker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Kurt Cobain would have been a great like biopic of Heath Ledger playing the Joker. <laughs> if anything, you know where Gotham should be? It shouldn't be New York. It should be fucking Baltimore. <laughs> or like St. Louis or Detroit. Or you specifically say Baltimore. No, I'm saying specifically fucking Baltimore. So for instance, like there are there are sketchy places in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, it's like neighborhoods. In Baltimore, you just go down a street wrong and then you're in a place that's like, "Oh shit, I didn't know if it was a great idea to be here." Shit. Walter's Walter's giving me a look like, "Uh-oh, we're going to get canceled." <laughs> no, I just don't know why you're so hung up on specifying Baltimore except it's the city you know. Your your podcast bosses are giving it's, you the, the podcast. Bag. No, cuz I've, I've been to other cities. I've been in New York. I've been in Philadelphia. My guess is you're talking about cities that have lost industries. Yes, that's actually probably a, a good point. The greatest white flight city. So Gotham City is also like a perpetual frozen state of a city in America where like in American cities where poor people start to kind of become the dominant residents of a city, they get abandoned by all the people who have resources and power. No, 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 you're right. I mean, because in the actual narrative of how these cities function is that happens and then you get gentrification. Then the poor people, this is not always the case, but often can manage to build their city up a little bit and like gain a culture and a space. And then of course, like every fucking Connecticut boat shoe asshole who goes to liberal arts college. Me! Like, Man, this I place went is to nice. New York I'm City, guys! <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're Wal yeah, Walter comes in and gentrifies the space. But there's no gentrification. There's not a gentrification. Actually, the DC Comics has been putting out these comics that don't even have like monthly issues that are just like self-contained graphic novels you buy in bookstores. But they've been doing them aimed at a young adult audience. And one of them is about Harley Quinn. But instead of Harley Quinn being like the Joker's girlfriend, she's this high school girl who like grows up as an orphan for like a few years and then she ends up living homelessness on the street until she gets picked up by a family of drag queens and then the main villain who's like this like other teenager joker is gentrifying the space it borders on pandering but it's pretty awesome that like there is a batman comic that tackles gentrification it just doesn't have batman in it. it's just harley quinn can we talk about goffin's levies in this film though like, suddenly it's back in New Orleans. <laughs> what? What's Gotham Levy? So, levees are the things that stop water from coming into your city, right? Uh, but this Gotham obviously was filmed in New York City. Because the subways are from New York. The sort of downtown looks a little like Times Square. Maybe not exactly, but kind of, in my opinion. No, it's got Times Square And lines. Because this movie is so small. You don't get, like, the whole Gotham. But do you think it's earned? I think it's earned. All I'm saying is, like, the levees were just so fucking... Out of nowhere. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, you were talking about how some of the zaniness flies over your head. Did you feel like, wait, why are these levees here, Riley? I didn't. I feel a little, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> no, but that's what Sway's talking about. Like, it's earned that you buy into it. So. Yeah, for me, is like when, when, like, fucking any stupid shit happens in Marvel. I'm, I'm ready. I wasn't like, I noticed it. It earned it. Let's move on. A meteor could have hit, and I would have been like, what is Batman going to do now? The Marvel movies do something similar. They just do it with a different tone. They do it with happiness and fun rather than the darkness of the DC. Everything is so stylized. Everything is so stylistic that when crazy shit happens, the style is like, okay, yeah, it's fine. With the exception of Morbius, which apparently is really bad. I've not seen it. It's Morbin time. It's Morbin time. Do you you know what Jared Leto did for Morbius? In preparation, did he drink bat blood? No, but because his character is supposed to be sickly whenever he was on set he made people push him around in a wheelchair (laughs) (laughs) to tap into their character okay Uh, so fucking weird that's kind of offensive to sickly people too no (laughs) no it's like not good most cancer patients walk by themselves i did have a friend in high school that i won't say his name but he had one leg and then at this one point where he was going through some kind of like treatment it's not surgery but he was going to the hospital frequently so he couldn't really walk where he normally walks with his sticks but he was in his wheelchair a lot and the two of us would always use it as an excuse to be like 15 minutes late to class so (laughs) as offensive as it may be i I have a first-hand account of someone who exploits his own uh maybe that's why morbius turned out so bad because they were always 15 minutes late to set (laughs) (laughs) i broke my leg in high school pretty badly um but i I had a a week where i was in a wheelchair and we would actually use me as a steady cam when we were in film when we were doing film stuff they would like let me hold the camera and wheel me around it was like a it was really great it was a really good steady they were using you my friend yeah 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 we got some very good like tracking shots and stuff this is like when all my white friends decided to cheat on my math homework and they were like wow i love you you're such a good friend and then they never invited me to their party (laughs) did you really do that no no of course not (laughs) i can't imagine you being good at math you're probably better than i am at math that's not much i'm pretty fucking math tarot so what what makes morbius zady no i've not seen no i don't i don't know i'm not talking about Maurice, but i want what because i don't know anything about it damn all right marvel got some wins here so I really love Guardians of the Galaxy because it's like about dad stuff, which like always gets me. There's kind of like no reason why Star Lord should like care so much about Yondu and Guardians of the Galaxy too. But like when Yondu like finally like proves himself and like gets to be like someone worth caring about, it like always gets me. And it's because of like how consistent the emotional stuff is in those movies. It's like never like a jump. It literally makes me cry every time. I, not cry, cry, but like get teary eyed at the end where Yondu gets like a good funeral. I know Walt. Walter said some similar stuff about getting teary-eyed at Shang-Chi. I right? did not get teary-eyed. Like that some... was Cheryl. Just clarify. <laughs> Are you sure? I thought you said it affected you emotionally. It made me confuse why I was relating to that movie so much. No, you called me after than... you watched it and you said you cried. You cried for hours. You cried and you listened to the soundtrack. Oh, Shang-Chi. Fucking receipts. Shang-Chi. Yeah, <laughs> receipts, huh? <laughs> My dad is so mean to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking 
about like actually in this Batman film, I guess after the film, one of the questions I keep asking myself is like, what do I expect from Batman films and how much has the Nolan trilogy influenced my expectations and standards for Batman films now? This is a conversation we had behind this podcast, but this Batman is not your favorite. Yeah, it's not my favorite. Would you say you like it or don't like it? Well, I mean, a part of it is like, it's not my favorite. A part of it also is I don't really care to like it. And a part of it is like, I also don't really care that I don't like it. But then I have always believed that I would love to talk further about it. So in this film, the difference between, I think, Bruce Wayne, the protagonist and the antagonist villain is where the moral conversation lies. When I bring up moral conversation, immediately I think Christopher Nolan, because it feels like Christopher Nolan is such an operatic version of Batman. It's so theatrical in the sense that, like, you know, your characters are also moral vehicles and like there's always some quasi-philosophical discussion that is expressed in demise and fatality and stuff like that and none of that was kind of present in this film and so when I didn't get that from this film I was like oh this this film is not very rich I'm like okay wow Riley it might not be fair to expect every Batman film from now on to also be a great tool of like intellectual moral discourse wait 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 I think there's moral and intellectual discourse I think Paul Dano drives a lot of that moral discussion it's him doing it and to push a bit further it's not only that he is doing it but Robertson Pattinson's Batman is blatantly not doing it yes he is so not interested in justice he says he's here for vengeance but he really means vengeance in this like I want to quench a kind of bloodthirst or something exactly exactly I think this is a very good Batman origin film right because by the end he realizes he can't just be vengeance he has to be justice like the the Batman 89 you don't get to see how Batman becomes Batman and in the in the first of the Nolan trilogy you like see how he becomes Batman but you see how he like learns how to do things not how he becomes Batman emotionally like learn about his martial arts and all that stuff and you learn about how Tatral Al Ghul teaches him because being Batman would be a difficult thing right like outside of just like the the actions I think being the arbiter of justice would be difficult for most people without turning into like a cop right and just being like well I'm justice so I get to shoot someone in the back of the fucking head Batman becoming someone who is the paragon of justice and not just like a violent vigilante or like an unwilling unflinching deliverer of street justice right he becomes someone who is a symbol I really like the the sort of moral conversation the Riddler is created by the Wayne family because the Wayne family fucks him over and he gets lost and so he gets to see Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne have this perfect life as an orphan even though his life is such bullshit. The Batman is made fully by the Riddler because without the Riddler showing up and showing him that you can't just be vengeance, uh, he becomes the true Batman, right? So it's this really weird thing where like one makes the other makes the other. I, I also like that it doesn't make Bruce Wayne's family perfect. Traditionally, the Wayne family's like not done anything wrong. You know, Bruce, uh, uh, what is his name? It's not Bruce. Dad man? Dad man. Dad man Wayne. Bat dad? Bat dad. Bat dad. <laughs> Ooh, bat daddy. Bat daddy. Ooh. <laughs> Thomas? You're right, Thomas Wayne. And and you said thematic and operatic for the Nolan films, and I think that's really true, especially in the way it's all shot. Like, whenever the Joker's waxing faux-philosophical, I'm a dog who just wants to chase his tail, he's always, like, centralized in the center, right? Like, it's like the scene, it's the dance scene where the Joker talks about, you know how I got these scars or whatever. I mean, you could stage that on a play perfectly. To where there's very little of this movie that could be staged on a play. To be honest, Swade, initially when I came out of this film, I thought this film was not so deep because I felt like this film had already been done before. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that wasn't true. But the reason why I felt like that was because, you know, sometimes there is a Batman narrative where the crazy villain comes and then the crazy villain kind of works with the mafia boss or the mafia bosses sort of work with Batman or however it works. And then Batman sort of realizes, oh, 
the real villain is the mafia boss. So he defeats the mafia boss. But then, at the end, he realizes the pure evil, he still has to fucking defeat it. But the more I thought about this movie, the more I realized, especially with the Nolan movies, this movie is so much centered on Batman psychology, which is what Swade was talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because for growth. me, Batman is the most important character in this movie, which is not very common in a lot of Batman media I take in. Most Batman media I consume, the villains are like the main characters. Well, he's the, I mean, when, when you talk about narrative, right? I mean, this is not true of every narrative, but like when you're doing an introduction to creative writing or an introduction to like narrative craft the main character is not necessarily the pov character the main character is the one who undergoes the most change normally the main character in batman movies are the villains because you get to see them change and grow and you learn about their psychology but in this one it really is the batman because he has to go from being like a petulant punching boy to like a justice boy uh just for me like the conversion from like the final lesson he learns which to me is the only lesson he learns is quite sudden he's like oh my god there's a flood coming what have i done he also learns not to be a dick to alfred I mean, like, that is, like, another really important moment is he's like, oh, because, you know, he's like, not being my father. Yeah, he's like <laughs> such a dick. I was watching that and I was like, oh, shit, what an asshole. And then Alfred gets blown up because that is such a departure. Batman is never a dick to Alfred in anything I've ever seen him as. He always loves Alfred because Alfred is his surrogate father. Dude, I actually thought you might have found that part cringe. No. Because it was like this emo, I don't know, that divergence, I'm surprised you were, like, immediately like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm on board. The first <laughs> being a dick I wasn't super into but again it pulls it off by the end that's true at the at the hospital bed scene he's like oh, you are the only one like, parent <laughs> I ever had or some shit like that so Riley now that we had talked both about Nolan and how this movie the morality and the psychology is so individual to Batman do you think for you you're more attracted to this sort of widespread vehicleization of morality than the individual sort of thing? And do you think there's a reason for that? The answer to that is yes. Just looking at my what I enjoy, I definitely enjoy stories that use characters or characters are definitely voice of ideas or the discussion or the relationship is simultaneously a conversation between ideas. Why is that? I think for me, the most interesting thing about any individual are their ideas. And it's not necessarily the ideas that they create, but it's the ideas that they vocalize. Because I think ideas play us. I think ideas have us. I don't think we really have ideas. I think we are the actors of ideas. I also do want to say there is a distinction between authors that are very intentional about ideas over characters. Just going through my college years in writing workshops, I think I definitely was indoctrinated to prioritize characters over ideas when writing. Of course, both to me are important. But when I look at a film like this, where there just is no manhandling or there's no scripting by the director or the scriptwriters themselves about a moral conversation, I see it and I'm like, oh, maybe this is not my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're, you gravitate towards people like, like Russian writers. Right, like Dostoevsky and stuff like that. Characters, yes! yeah. See, yeah! and I, I am the total opposite. I like gravitate towards these like Faulknerian and ah. Flannery O'Connor style, like Southern Gothic, hyper character driven, hyper psychology driven things that are like snapshots. If we look at that specific Nolan movie with the Joker of Heath Ledger, we we use these words like theater, opera, all this stuff. But Heath Ledger's Joker, he does play the part of a director you say that all these things in that movie are vehicles it's not from batman heath ledger tells you okay harvey dent is this 
you actually legit have a character doing the Dostoevsky do, do inside the. <laughs> Let's try. Yeah, whatever his name is. <laughs> Let's try that one more time from the top. Dostoevsky. I got it. I got it. It's pretty close. Is it Dostoevsky or it's Dostoevsky, right? Dostoevsky. I mean, no, you're right. He he is the Greek chorus. There's like a term in like mythology and literature for like a character that brings you from one space to another, usually like through death. It's called a psychopomp. Whoa. The, the Joker totally acts that way through the movie. In part because of how fucking, how many monologues the Joker has in that movie. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a sucker for monologues, really. But not Paul Dano's monologue. I didn't fuck with it. Oh, I love that. Are you kidding me? Especially, dude, especially I love when fucking Batman's like, no, we're not the same. And he's like, oh no! Uh, uh, and starts doing like the autism shit. Like, no, no, no! I'm like, yes, me too, Riddler. I also would be doing this. That's exactly what I did to get inside the movie theater just now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sweet thinks he outplayed them, but what actually happened is Sweet started sprawling on the floor and going, help, help, help. So they were just like, who's this weirdo? All right, give him two give tickets. Him free ticket. him give him a free ticket. Give him a free ticket. Give him out. He's pooping. He's pooping and crying. Give him yeah. in the movie. He's an untrustworthy narrator, this guy. Yeah. Did you even watch the Batman, dude? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just watched Barney on repeat. I just drank Nightclub and watched Barney. So I am, man. I am justice. <laughs> actually willing to go on record and say that Heath Ledger's performance in most movies is really good. I know Walter's read the original Brokeback Broke Mountain, Mountain, but I don't know if you guys have seen it. He is fantastic in that. The, the movie is not as good as the book. It's but. not good at all. The book, okay, the book is 90 fucking pages long. The movie is two hours and 30 fucking minutes. How does that even happen? How does that even work? That doesn't make any fucking sense. Use your brain, read the novella, don't watch the movie. I agree. Watch the, I agree. Read the, the novella is so good. I love the novella. I I think there's like you bitch you, you bitch you bitch you bitch well I think when people come at that I think especially queer people who aren't dudes or people in general who haven't come from like a hyper hyper male hyper rural or hyper southern space don't realize that that it's not about gayness necessarily and Walter you've articulated this too it's not about homosexuality it's about masculinity in its context with homosexuality oh. it's it's something closer to Baldwin actually I think uh, James Baldwin's work than traditional queer theory stuff Whoa. Baldwin's relationship to homosexuality sexuality is so often linked with masculinity right the first section of another country the violence that the male characters inflict on each other while still being in queer and like gay relationships the the violence that they portray on each other is, is so male it's impossible to make it just be about gay identity politics it's it's about ma- male uh, identity i love that politics. though i don't think annie perlow is nearly as good of a writer as james baldwin uh, annie perlow is great she's written some good stuff but she doesn't touch baldwin i like that i like that <laughs> i also i mean this is something this is something to talk about gayness how, how fucking handsome is Robert Patterson? <laughs> Fuck Edward. I'm on team fucking Bruce Wayne. Are you kidding me? He's like so goddamn hot in this movie. He has such a nice jawline. They had to make sure his cowl could like get that jawline. But this Batman is a little gay, right? Are we being serious? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, okay. I think he's more feminine. Oh, because he's got the eyeliner. He's got this K-pop hairstyle. Dude, it's so good. It's so good. Dude, it's like fucking some light Megami shit. It's like you, like, it's so. <laughs> That's yeah, true. That's, 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 that's true. That's that's Dude, better. Riddler is actually just—he's not L though. That's the issue. No, 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 bro. 
Robert Pattinson for, you know, live action Death Note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> also, definitely Catwoman could be Mika, the golf girl in Death Note 2. Yo, Catwoman. But how do we like Catwoman? Is she interesting? I liked her in this movie. I thought she was less of a, a little bit like the Riddler. She's a little more subdued. She's not just like, oh, I'm going to steal the cat jewel. She like <laughs> looks out for strays. Like in by strays, it's both the cats and also the stray people of the city. She's a class warrior too. She just fights it differently, right? She's also like taking care of the downtrodden and like the concepts of like the feminine. She's like a defender of women. But I think like in Catwoman's chronology or journey in the comics, she definitely without a doubt originated as a villain. Yes. And then it was through like the exploration of Batman and his potential love interest that Catwoman also started to be someone that plays both roles or sometimes that's stuck in between two worlds. And then within since the 2000s, apart from Halle Which Berry's- Which I need to watch. I've never seen it. <laughs> Apparently it's terrible, but I'd like to watch it. Okay, but that film is important to this point because every rendition we've seen on screen is a Catwoman that has to be both good and bad, both a love interest, but both a love you can't have, but both like a small criminal, but not that bad of a criminal, a good person in the end. In fact, perhaps a great character, great person. Also just a woman, just a, just a love interest. And it's only in Halle Berry's Catwoman, here's where the film comes back, <laughs> in which they give her the respect for her origins, where she's like, Steely, <laughs> and like she's a cat. <laughs> she doesn't just wear a cat costume. Like she's a cat. She ain't just a cat living woman. I will say, if there's one thing you want to talk smack about, I think some of uh, Zoe Kravitz's character falls a little bit on like we need a woman and woman narratives, right? Like she's got daddy issues. She's not weak by any means. She's like very good at what she does. But she is definitely a character that's within the context of masculinity. Maybe to focus Riley's question a little, is it this movie or is Catwoman, unfortunately, her character archetype has fallen into this and it's very hard to break her out I, of I think you're right, Walter. I think usually Catwoman is a vehicle in some way, shape, or form. It's a little bit like Harley Quinn. And I, I think if that Halle Berry movie would have been better- It's a good movie, though. Maybe it would have done great in today's era. Maybe. I don't know. So that movie won a Razzie. It won a, a award for worst performance. I think because it didn't get a whole lot of critical success directors don't want to take that chance again versus people didn't like suicide squad but they loved margot robbie's portrayal of uh harley quinn and so they gave harley quinn her own movie oh so it's not about the movie it's about how shitty the actress was holly berry hey man she put her heart and soul in that dude film. we we have to revive catwoman on this podcast. dude i'm That's down catwoman to do. needs her own movie <laughs> dude catwoman would definitely have had such an interesting meme if it came out right now <laughs> Morbius. It's Morbid time. I'm just thinking about a Catwoman movie and what it would be like, how I would make a Catwoman movie. Okay, so in this Catwoman movie, they like put on makeup that makes them like super strong. No, well, right? no, it was makeup, th- right, Riley? Oh yeah. Oh wait, really? In the in the, yeah. in the original <laughs> Catwoman, the in the Catwoman, Hel- no, that but that is such a cultural statement, <laughs> dude. I have to watch this movie. All right, that's what I'm doing today, and it's a really. It's a really damn sexy film. I mean, it's got fucking Halle Berry (laughs) in it. Of course it's sexy. And she plays, like, really good basketball. (laughs) Oh, yeah! It's it's a cultural statement. If I was going to make a good Catwoman movie, I would make it a heist film, kind of like Ocean's Eleven. Because that's her whole thing, is she's a cat burglar. Wasn't that kind of Suicide Squad, too? I didn't watch Suicide Squad. It looked bad. Yo, to clarify, Riley, Suede hates the new Margot Robbie Harley Quinn and only has hearts for the animated version from the 90s. That is not true. She is very very cute. (laughs) Modern Margot Robbie Harley Quinn is absolutely adorable. 
but I do like her costume in the original animated show better. I like her without her costume in the animated show. Oh yeah, I mean she's such <laughs> she's so she's so adorable. <laughs> I love Harley Quinn. Oh my god, she's she's like waifu tier to the maximum. We actually went through every character, right, except the penguin. Fucking hilarious. Well, okay, Slay, so what is his point though? <laughs> I mean, some of it is like a setup, I think, for him being another villain in the next film. But I I also think the penguin makes a good, not very good villain. Like he makes a villain who's like easy to punch on. That's what he is in the comics too sometimes. Sometimes. Right? Other times he's like because in some of the comics Penguin was also rich but his family's fortune fell at the same time that the Wayne family's fortune grew and so he hates the Waynes because he's like poor now. Uh, and living in the sewers because he's that poor now. He's also like one of the few Batman villains who's like not psychologically broken. He's just like a dickhead criminal. He's just like a very brutal mob boss. I'm not quite sure why he's in the movie. Like I, I, I think he's got a point. You know what it is? It's someone who you, it's someone who he can punch who isn't the last villain because you do need that punchable character. Yeah, but usually they use a sort of unimportant character to do that. This time they use the penguin, which was kind of shocking in a way, right? So it's like Riddler is not really Riddler. Penguin is not really Penguin. This is why I actually understand why there are people who go into this Batman who are like, what the fuck is going on? Like, none of these villains are recognizable. <laughs> well, I think that's why I like this. It's more like a noir than like a punching movie, right? There's like so much fighting in the Nolan films. There's so much combat in the Nolan films. And in this one, like half of the reason Batman is good at fighting is because his suit can block bullets. There's like so many scenes where he's just like, I'm winning because you can't shoot me. True. I will say one more point about fucking penguin is that it is acted by colin farrell and whoever was the makeup artist fucking rocked oh my god that person does not look like colin farrell even like one bit dude and it's so funny when they're like figuring out the puzzle and he's like you don't know the difference between l and la what's wrong with you, you idiots world's greatest detectives i love that bit i like the car chase scene too you get to see the car manifest it's not just like the car appears out of nowhere it like turns on slowly and the engine starts to glow red and there's all that like like noises and stuff it, it, it like it, it, it earns how badass it is i, I I feel like the car scene is the only scene that I sort of recognize. The car scene is like, oh yeah, this is the Batman car chase that we always know about. Could I also add the one where he like jumps off from like a high point building? I feel like that also like happens in a lot of Batman cinemas. Except he eats shit this time. He doesn't normally eat shit, but in this one he like fucking, his parachute catches on something and he gets fucking slammed into the wall. No, I think for the first time in any Batman film, this Batman is definitely a bottom. Everyone wants to talk about how Batman is gay. Whether or not that's true, this is the first movie, total bottom. It's Pride Month! It's Pride Month! Yo, this Batman is just product of Calendar Vans releasing his uh, powers of Pride Month. That's true, that's true, that's exactly... Dude, why haven't they done that? Oh my god, fucking, that's so good. I'm gonna turn the world gay! Do you want to talk about Black James Gordon? I don't think there's much to say. He's good at it it's good he's a good character he's the top yeah he's the top he's the top uh, <laughs> no they're both bottoms man <laughs> that's that's true that's true. their size bro their size they fuck each other they're, they do a 69 on their size bro <laughs> i remember having just a, a thought just jim gordon just has like unconditional love for batman yeah he really does trust him for like no good reason that's normally how it is but Riley's saying that this Gordon feels like even more into Batman than usual. Well, I mean, usual for me would just be like in contrast. And, you know, so it seems to me that Jim Gordon is typically someone who has to 
in his own feelings resolve, you know, the difference between vigilantism and law and order, and which means is best to get the job done. But here, he just wants to help Batman in <laughs> any way. I don't want to hear something out your mouth, you lieutenant. Give me a Batman the room. <laughs> Sometimes you can like kind of give the commissioner a lot of like energy and make him like a really important character, and he is important, but he's not one who has to like struggle psychologically. He get his is. own movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have to get his own movie. <laughs> Imagine the poster. Dude, 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 I'd watch it. I'd watch it. So I, I recently played through all three of the Batman Arkham games. The last one, I'm not going to spoil anything. Unlike the other two games... That has like that 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 is worth playing for the plot. Uh, but Jim Gordon, Commissioner, is really good in that one. He is not just like someone who helps out Batman in that movie or in that game. He's he's got a lot of stuff worth going on. Calendar Man, there in Arkham Asylum, it might be Arkham City. You can like go into the bottom of one of the basements and see Calendar Man, and he just like says a bunch of dates. But if you go there on Halloween. He'll like say different stuff and you get a trophy because the PlayStation has like a built in calendar or whatever. So if you go talk to him on Halloween night, like actual Halloween night, you like unlock an achievement because like you said, it's a long Halloween. sequel is going to be good i actually have doubts if you can make a good sequel from this character because like now that he's changed how interesting can he be psychologically other than towards the end of the batman movie he shoots himself in the leg with that green vial to like get up and fight the guy in the end people were saying it's adrenaline but it could also this is like super nerd shit right here it could also kryptonite no i mean maybe but it's it's venom venom (laughs) is like the the drug that bane uses to get super jacked that could be hinting at like bane or there's a really good batman run from the silver age where batman gets a addicted to Venom and so like the psychology that's going on there is like him trying to deal with his drug and he gets more violent and he starts hurting criminals more than he should but I think so there's this villain in Batman called Killer Croc who's like a giant crocodile man they should make the next Batman movie be closer to a horror movie where Killer Croc is like jumping out of the sewers and eating people because this Batman's not a martial arts master his whole thing is he just like has a bulletproof suit and some tech and is good at punching so it would be great to watch this kind of less powerful Batman fight a giant crocodile man like make it nice and gross like because killer croc eats people because it, it had some saw pacing this one so you could fool with it a little bit and turn it into a more traditional horror movie with batman in it it'd be fucking awesome or maybe hollywood is just going to step in and be like all right when's the joker coming all right <laughs> <laughs> they tease him at the end oh yeah he was in a cutscene, right yeah he's a, he's in the end he's the one who's talking to paul dano and saying like oh they make you a clown and starts laughing i think they're gonna do the joker in the next movie which personally i think is a bad idea i think you gotta work up to the joker because of how how much charisma he usually has on screen you need to like sediment other stuff first they can't wait to put him on i can feel it man he didn't have to be at the end scene bro Wait, but... was it actually joaquin phoenix in that jail no it wasn't because there's a oh okay okay there's a deleted <laughs> scene where you can see that joker that's like online he's like got a fucked up face like it's not just like cuts his face is like all kinds of fucked up did you watch anything else batman wise well the funny thing to answer that this whole week i've been going on a batman fucking craze to catch up on some batman stuff to talk about one of the things i watched was the dark knight returns the animated dc movie. i don't i've not seen that one It's based off this 1986 four-issue comic book called Batman, The Dark Knight Returns. Oh, I've read this. It's about Batman being 50 years old, 
and returning to become Batman. That was so funny because I was going through my head and being like, wow, there's no Batman media that's really about Batman as the main character. Immediately, I fall into this, and this comic strip or movie is completely Batman as the main character, except it's 50-year-old Bruce Wayne trying to become Batman again and has to fight Superman. Those are my favorite <laughs> Batman comics. There's another one called Blood Rain Saga where it's super silly. Batman fights a vampire. But again, like this movie, it pulls it off by making everything like so engaging and like real in the beginning by the time you get to the vampire stuff at the end you're like oh fuck yeah i'm down have you seen any of them crossovers between like japanese anime and batman where like batman goes to japan and he's like a mecha tech shinobi uh samurai oh. and then the joker is like oh, mecha tech gundam joker who's like shooting lap bomb <laughs> i watched the first half of that like batman in japan <laughs> uh computer animated film i literally could not finish it it was so bad oh damn did you like it riley no i mean i didn't watch it i was hoping somebody loved it some batman nerd uh. <laughs> i think if i was little i would have liked it it's a little bit like soul eater actually you can watch it for just the visuals and be really engaged with it but unlike soul eater there's not anything under the style it's made for like 13 year olds hey i mean 13 year olds might have high taste i, I would say this is made <laughs> for like 12 or 10 year olds except for there's a whole lot of titties in it, so. <laughs> that's why your 12 year old would have been titties. extra excited i would have been like man this has samurai swords ninjas and titties fuck yeah dude there's uh, apparently the, there's a singapore batman that's really good whoa i think it's just a short film but it's it looked really cool i'm bruce wayne la <laughs> bruce wayne la if you were gonna make a superhero where would you put him do you think you could make a pretty badass singapore superhero a singapore uh, yeah wow. he would fight against the overpopulation of durians <laughs> Yo, I would love to hear some of Swade's uh, Batman impressions. I, I can't do any Batman impressions. You can't do I can't do any. Strip you of your fucking nerve intimacy, man. I can do Adam West's Robin. Oh, yeah? All right, let's Gee whiz, Batman. Galloping Gillikers, Batman. Oh, man, we sure ought to solve the crime. You know, Bruce Lee played Kato in the Green Hornet, right? He was like the Green Hornet sidekick. Oh well, yeah, the first version of the Green Hornet. Yeah, right? the original, the original Green Hornet cartoon or TV show, and they were going on the same time as Batman. And there was a crossover. Robin was supposed to beat Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lee refused. He was like, "There's no way I'm letting this person beat me in a fight, even if it's just the show. <laughs> we cannot have Robin beat me." So it has it that they fight in a standstill, even though literally Bruce Lee would have kicked everyone's ass in that show because i mean because he's fucking bruce lee like water gee whiz batman <laughs> excellent excellent yeah <laughs> excellent that's my penguin no but so those are those are not my bad, two dude you do a very good harley quinn oh yeah my name's oh yeah harley quinn is so oh batman hey batman hey oh b-man that's what he called that's what she calls it hey b-man a pudding b-man <laughs> do you guys have any batman character impressions come on walt let me hear your let me hear your calendar man. <laughs> Why, I have a lot of calendars in my cupboard. Give me a second while I take them out. I don't even know what he sounds like. I had to stop working 
working out at the gym because I've had COVID, so I haven't been able to go to the gym, but I've been keeping up with my weights at home. But I need like something else, something to like engage more with my body. How funny would it be if I start learning martial arts? It's not funny. It's cool as fuck. So go for it, bro. Okay. I'm going to, but which one should I learn? Muay Thai, I mean, martial arts too? Yeah. Yes. Because that's what everyone wants to do. See, but I don't want to get punched like that. I See, that's my problem is like, I don't want to get head trauma. Oh, then you should just do Tai Chi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I found a judo gym six minutes from my house that I could start going to. But judo, you actually do more sparring than you would Muay Thai. Muay Thai, you said you didn't want to get punched. You could just ask your instructor to like work on bags and punching bags. But judo, you need someone to practice moves on. But I don't mind getting thrown and slammed and stuff like that. I just no, don't want to get... if you do Tai Chi, you won't get hit at all. In fact, if with Tai Chi, your inner chi will do the hitting for you so you'll fall down. But I want to be able to beat someone <laughs> up so I need judo so I can like throw people to the ground. I mean, the Tai Chi masters believe they can beat someone up until we saw them get embarrassed on the stage <laughs> oh dude that shit's rough watching like people who do like less pragmatic martial arts just getting their shit handed to them by like people doing like <laughs> sambo or whatever apparently there's a there's a buddhist monk who's been making his way through mma and been like totally decimating though like he's using shaolin kung fu yeah yeah, yeah. i mean a, a lot of it's also just traditional mma punching but that's his like background is the is the okay so we talked about bruce lee you think bruce lee would do anything in the mma bruce lee doesn't do grappling and you have to be able to do that in, in MMA. He would work and try to learn something. That's 100% sure. Yeah, because he's not a traditionalist, right? He reinvented his own martial art after he lost using Wing Chun. But I'm not sure. I mean, if it was just a straight striking match, I have 100% faith that he could beat Conor McGregor in a striking match. Conor McGregor would lose to Hajime no Ippo too. Conor McGregor would lose to everyone. Conor McGregor fucking sucks. He's just a <laughs> shitty Irish asshole. Last martial arts thing. So there there was a time in my life where I was having trouble like leaving the house and stuff. It's when I dropped out of college. And I needed like a way to push forward. And I was rereading Hajime no Ippo. And Maku no Ichi Ippo, his whole thing is that he always pushes forward. Like even as he's getting hit, he just like can't give up. It's always one foot in front of the other. And so that was like my methodology. That was like what I would do. I was like, all right, even if you go outside and vomit, which is like something I would do, I'd go outside and I'd get nauseous and I'd puke. You, you got to wipe the puke off your mouth and you got to put another step forward. And eventually I was like able to leave the house and I became a human being again. And like things are really good. And then the latest chapter of Epo came out. Epo starts getting punch drunk. He can't box anymore because he has brain damage. And I was like, what's the point? What's the point in me doing anything? Why did I do, do any of this? Why did I leave my house if I'm just going to end up like Epo? I was like four days depressed. I was like four days like just broken. And finally, I, I was like, you know what? Epo can't go on, but I can. I have to be better than Epo. And I started like doing shit again. But there was like a four day ultra depression period where I was like, oh, Epo. So Snatster gave us a comment because I asked on Twitter who wants to talk about Batman with us. Obviously, no one does because no one fucking responded. So, all you listeners, you guys should feel fucking guilty. You I should feel... You no, we love you. <laughs> we love you. They said... I really enjoyed the new Batman. I thought it was pretty great up until the last third. I thought the resolution was just kind of a cop-out, though. I, you know, I, I intimated, uh, not a point like that, but I intimated a feeling like that about something about, like, his character journey, the end when he transitions someone who doesn't know what he's Batman's about into, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to stand for justice. Too quick. No! <laughs> I like how the guy who's angry at the rich people at the funeral is also the guy who says, I'm vengeance. So Bruce Wayne sees this guy twice. First, he sees him 
at the funeral being angry at the rich people, and then he sees him doing something about it. So he realizes he can't just be an engine of vengeance. I will say it is a quick end. I think it's a little cheesy how he just like sees a little kid trapped underwater and saves the kid, and then he's like, oh, maybe I can be a good guy too. And suddenly all that water that was terrorizing them, they just could walk on it. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been pretty cool. (laughs) All of them just started walking on water. It's the Bat Christ. Also, that last scene where Catwoman and Batman are talking about in the orange hue of Gotham. Yeah. Holy fuck. It's a very pretty. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah it's oh, just yeah. fucking pretty. When Catwoman and Batman separated ways at the very end, that gave me a Fast and Furious vibes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With the cars and everything. <laughs> I, I heard, like, the Wiz Khalifa Charlie Puth song in my That's head. That's the crossover we need. <laughs> Batman x Vin Diesel. Fuck yes. <laughs> It's about family. <laughs> Batman's like, oh, I'm a family. I'm Batman. Well, but Batman and Robin and Batgirl and stuff, they're called the Bat Family. So he's got a family too. Bat and Furious. Bat, Bat and Furious. Furious. <laughs> Fuck yes. And it'll be Carly Rae Jessica's Run Away With Dude, Me. Run away That's the ending me. song. Run away with me. It's only allowed if Batman and Vin Diesel kiss at the end. <laughs> that would be a shot for shot remake of uh, Batman and Catwoman. With Zoe Kravitz, only it's Dominic Toretto being like, I'm gonna go steal more cars, Batman, and Batman's like, it's fine, let's kiss about it. Yeah, we'll take, well, yeah, let's put that in. Vin Diesel's bisexual, right? Wasn't there that whole thing where he got caught with another man in a car? Caught? Is that the right term of usage on Pride Month? On Pride Month! <laughs> that was how the news shoe it. It's like some TMZ assholes like found him kissing another man in a car, and it was like a whole thing. Suddenly, that Vin sounds a little, uh, I'm Vin, hi. <laughs> 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 Riley, do you have any? Do you have anything to say? Do you have anything to add? I don't know. Nothing really. I came in pretty empty-handed. I'm leaving with a a bit more than what I came in with, so I'm pretty happy with what happened. Well, you were you were a great guest. <laughs> I'm always blown away by how how astute. You I've are. always been envious of your storytelling. Oh, that's true. I'm a, it's my southern element. I'm a southern man. I gotta tell stories. <laughs> I'm a storyteller with my with my King James Bible and my Glock. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess if there's nothing left to say, uh, Riley, do you want to do the closer? Do you want to do the last line? I had Walter do it last time and he did a bad job and it made me very upset anything goes well i always say and if you're gonna watch a movie do it with the lights off oh that, that, that sounds tradition so since, since we're such traditionalists let's stick with that it's true because we're confucius here we, we're the tradition of confucianism exactly. and we're adam west batman fans adam west confucius <laughs> batman Kerr, pow <laughs> i'll give you a sound effect when we turn off the lights if you're gonna watch the movie do it with the lights off click <laughs>